Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braden. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, flying solo just for the intro, though. Don't turn us off just yet. It's Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show. Great conversation with Stephen, hitting all kinds of topics around college football. So I think you guys will really appreciate this one. And, um, you know, obviously the portal. Coaching news, all that is in the headlines here in the SEC. That's mainly what we talked about with Stephen, but just a little update here. But before we get uh, to our conversation with Stephen, just a couple little news items I want to hit here. And of course, we got to start Mike Leach. The latest with Mike Leach, coach is still in critical care there in the hospital in Mississippi. So, not great. So we'll continue to monitor that situation. Thoughts and prayers continue to go out to Mike Leach and his family during this difficult time, rooting like heck for Coach Leach. Hopefully this isn't the end for one of the most popular figures, not only in the SEC, but in all college football. Just it's tough. I don't I don't really know even know what to say, but just uh you know, hope for the best there. And we'll keep you updated as soon as we know something. Now, a little bit of good news from uh, Brett McMurphy of the Action Network. His recent report here on Monday. Anytime we can give you an update on Oklahoma and Texas and they're coming to the SEC, uh, Brett is reporting that Texas and Oklahoma likely to be able to leave the Big 12 a little early. Probably not till at the earliest 2024. That would be a year before they're scheduled to, but... 2024, as this continues to to go forward, not only the expansion of the SEC, but you look around college football, that's when we're getting the expanded college football playoff. That's when we're getting the NCAA video game. Uh, So, you know, many factors here, but it certainly seems like 2024 is going to be a big, big year in college athletics. And it just makes all the sense in the world, according to Brett McMurphy, growing sentiment and momentum for Oklahoma and Texas to join the SEC ahead of their currently scheduled 2025 edition. So that's great news if you're ready to start seeing the Longhorns and the Sooners in this conference. We know it's happening for sure. The sooner the better, in my opinion. I know we like to rag all those two programs and fan bases, but once they're in the fold, they're family like the rest of us. So just eager to get that, the next chapter of the SEC going, make the nation's best conference even better with two storied fan bases, two programs that care so much about their college football. Cannot wait for that. And one last thing here before we get going, our conversation with Steven. A little update here. We've been doing this every episode, Transfer Portal Updates. Texas A&M, we're up to 20 players in the transfer portal. That leads the way. Florida, 17. Arkansas, 16. Ole Miss, Alabama each have 13 in the portal. Auburn, 12. Missouri, 11. Kentucky, 9. Mississippi State, LSU, and Vanderbilt all have 8. Tennessee and South Carolina, 7. And Georgia, just the one. Bill Norton, down there at Athens, only one, only Bulldog in the portal. But that is your daily update here. And just the the biggest names here on Monday, 
to enter the portal out of the SEC. South Carolina running back Marshawn Lloyd has yet to announce where he'll go, but uh, that's a loss there for the Gamecocks. Certainly, Arkansas tight end Trey Knox, also a loss. And, and interestingly enough, it sounds like Trey Knox may be following Dow Loggins to South Carolina. So he's already paying off for the Gamecocks here. But again, that, that hire has not been made official, but that is expected anytime now, possibly Tuesday. Dow Loggins will officially be named the next Offensive coordinator for the South Carolina Gamecocks. We'll talk with Steven about that. And then one to monitor. Coastal Carolina quarterback Grayson McCall has entered the portal. He's thrown for over 8,000 yards, 78 touchdowns, only eight interceptions in three seasons. He's also added over 1,000 rushing yards, 16 rushing touchdowns. This is a guy... Stephen will provide some more insight in, but it, it sounds like he could start for a number of SEC teams. Sounds a lot like Hannon Hooker, based on what Stephen had to say about him. So, man, look for McCall to be in the SEC. That's just speculation on my part, but a number of SEC programs have already reached out as soon as he entered the portal. So keep him on your radar. That's going to be a heated battle here. He's got one season of eligibility. If you need a quarterback for once, a bridge-type quarterback, Grayson McCall could be the best quarterback, maybe the best overall player currently in the transfer portal. But all right, let's kick it over to our latest conversation with the great Steven Lassen. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by a friend of the show, Steven Lassen. Of course, you know him, senior editor, from Athlon Sports, give him a follow at Athlon Steven on Twitter. And don't forget to check out his outstanding YouTube channels, all CFB365. Steven, thanks so much for joining us once again. Hey, Mike. It's great to be on once again. It's always good to talk to you. And here we are in the offseason. And man, there's just a ton of news and ton of things going on. So excited to talk to you and, and uh, break it all down. Yeah, there's almost too much going on. I mean, heck. Just for the audience, we were talking off air right before we started recording. I, I forgot it was signing day a week from now. I mean, literally, that that's how big of an idiot I am. But there's just so much going on; it just gets lost in the shuffle. Uh, but we have got a lot of topics to hit on. But before we get into all that, Stephen, I just, you know, we've all heard the uh, the sad news with Mike Leach. Thoughts and prayers out to him and his family. Hopefully, that situation. Uh, uh, you know, turns out well for everybody, but man, his impact on college football and even people that don't follow college football, they know who Mike Leach is with all his uh, uniqueness and, and wacky comments and viral statements and on and on and on. And of course, all the success on the field. So I just wanted to ask you right off the top, Stephen, favorite Mike Leach memory, and it could be like I said, it could be a comment, could be a press conference, could be something on the football field, whatever comes to mind. What's your favorite Mike Leach uh, memory? I think one of the first times I remember being introduced to Mike Leach was at the halftime of the Alamo Bowl when he was the second year as Texas Tech head coach and they were playing Iowa and he was interviewed at halftime and, you know, basically it was essential Mike Leach. It basically said, we were not playing worth a 
bleep and he just ran you know ran off the field and you sort of kind of got that's how that's who Mike Leach uh was you kind of figured that out right away he was kind of a quirky uh guy but you know I, I was as I was telling you but before we started recording I I this was the first weekend of college football that we didn't have a full slate of like 50 or 60 games so it was kind of a chance to step back and take in some of the other football that was on. It was FCS playoffs on Friday and Saturday, Army-Navy on Saturday, and the NFL on Sunday. And I think what stood out to me, even before anything about uh, Mike Leach, or the first thing that stands out to you is just how unique college football is. I mean, there was like a 66 to 63 FCS game on Friday night. There was Army-Navy uh, where, where it was an overtime game between one of the, the best rivalries in sports. And you can watch those games and you see there's teams that throw it 60 times a game. There's teams that run it 50 times. There's different styles. And one of the reasons that we, you know, we watch college football is just because of how unique it is. And Mike Leach is one of those reasons why it's unique. He he runs a style that hasn't changed in years, uh, you know, all throughout his career. And it's it's worked a lot of different places. And and so I think it's just Mike Leach's career has just been so unique. He's such a unique personality. And that sort of embodies why we like college football. It's all the quirky, unique things. Also, I think as a head coach, one of the things that I've always appreciated about Mike Leach is it's really hard to win at Washington State, Texas Tech, and Mississippi State. Those are three really hard jobs. I mean, if you had to poll people and all three of those conferences, they, those jobs would probably rank at the bottom. Washington State might be the toughest job in the Pac-12. So just, I think also we, we'll talk a lot about Mike Leach and his personality, but also I think a little bit maybe more appreciation too for, for what he's done as a head coach and, and just winning at some difficult places. And after a lot of people have had a lot of experience trying to defend his, his air raid passing game. Yeah, how many coaches have led Texas Tech, weren't they number one? Or are they? I know they beat number one Texas. That that's kind of the play that I always think about. That touchdown to Michael Crabtree against Texas. There he is, right there. As time expired to win a football game, that that always comes to my mind. And of course, his debut in the SEC. So many people laughed off his hire. Thought, you know, yeah, he did it at, like you said, Washington State. He did it at Texas Tech. This ain't going to work in the SEC. All they did is set the SEC all-time passing record his first game with K.J. Costello. I don't know what K.J. Costello did at Stanford, but it was nothing uh, that remarkable compared to uh, what he did that first ball game playing for Mike Leach. Just just incredible. It, it's And just, you know, Dave Bartu calls him in a walking upset, and that's that's what Mike Leach football was all about. You know what? It, absolutely. It, he really is. And and like we said, I mean, if if you can win those high profile games at places like Washington State, uh, Mississippi State and Texas Tech, and you're you're beating Texas in that, that showdown that you mentioned there, um, you're beating Ole Miss, you're you're going into Death Valley and LSU. It just it just shows how kind of a, a to, to put it on the most basic level, just how good of a coach that you are. But also one of the other things, too, is you start drawing coaching trees and you look at some of the names who've coached under Mike Leach. I mean, guys like Lincoln Riley and others. I mean, he's really had a massive impact on, on college football coaching. And so his his impact not only goes from from people who, who don't follow sports, know Mike Leach because of his interviews and whether it's Halloween candy or, 
you can ask him about play calling and it ends up talking about, you know, something out in the mountain West, you know, Rocky mountains or whatever it is. I mean, he just has, he's just such a unique personality and has such a large impact on college football and, and coaches and offensive style for many years. Yeah. Well, Steven, like I said, man, there is just so much going on, but before we get into to kind of all the madness that is right now, college football, I, I was just curious, what's your thoughts on this? Cause I, I was asked this recently on a radio show and that was a really good question, but of all the things going on right now, coaching carousel transfer portal, recruiting which one do you pay attention to the most closely right now and and, and maybe the, the better way to phrase that is what kind of moves that occur now do you think affect next college football season more is it the is it the coaching moves is it the coordinator hires is it the transfer portal or is it uh victories or failures on the recruiting trail which which one do you think affects college football the most on the field next season man you know it's a it's a hard question to answer because i'm big on talent acquisition in college football and it's almost when you start thinking about how to build teams you have to be able to acquire good players hire good coaches and then figure out the schemes to to make it all work and so they're all sort of connected together you know i will tell you that covering college football if, you know, for, for probably for, for too long at this point that the transfer portal has really, it's, it's one of those things that it just consumes you because you're always trying to keep up with how many players are in the portal, where they've committed, but also you can also see the roster construction going on. You know, you can start to see like these teams are losing this many players in an offensive line and you see them start to offer offensive linemen. So I'm sort of fascinated by the roster construction. So I'm paying, I'm, probably paying the most attention to the transfer portal and then coaching changes right after that. I have to, to be honest with you, but like you said earlier, signing day is completely just sneaking up on all of us. The fact that it is next week. So uh, it's kind of been a distant memory. And I think it's right now with the transfer portal and the way you can reload quicker and the way that it gives new coaches an opportunity to get the roster turned over faster. I think that's probably the thing that I'm paying the most attention to and probably will have the biggest impact on the field next year. Do you think it would serve college football best to I mean, I, I don't. This was a debate as soon as they they did it, Stephen. But you know, we have the early signing period now. Do you think we should do away with that? Because it's like, why have that in the middle of all this madness now? Or you know, maybe heck, I would maybe even push. I guess, I guess with with the transfer portal ending in, in mid January, a February signing period that kind of makes a lot more sense now that that we've got all this madness. It really does. And, and I think going forward, I think one of the questions that I have in a 12-team playoff, this is this is going on, signing days going on, while we could have the first and second round of the playoff games going on. And it's a lot to be juggling. I mean, it's one thing to be playing a bowl game that, let's be honest, I care about, all the nerds in college football care about, but you know, I don't know how many people really, you know, signing day covers everyone. A bowl game between two, maybe G5 teams doesn't have the biggest appeal, but the playoff is going to be pretty encompassing. So I'm interested going forward. What, how does the calendar look for college football? Because there's a lot of talk that week one 
will shift back to basically become week zero in the future. What does that mean for conference championship games? What does that mean for when the playoff starts? I think if in the 12 team era, I think probably moving signing day back to February and just having one makes the most sense because then you get the transfer situations solidified and then you can have a better picture of your roster. I will say, I think there is some benefit for players. And I think that's the hard part to juggle in all this is if you're just done with your commitment, you're tired of getting bombarded by coaches, text messages and DMs, you're ready to sign. And so that I, there has to be some sort of mechanism in there. Some coaches have thrown out, hey, maybe they could just sign right away when they're ready. You can do it. Here's your letter of intent. You know, I don't know if every coach wants to go that because we've seen how many offers get thrown around and, and you're obviously trying to always shop for the best player. So there's a lot of different angles to it. A long way of answering your question is saying, yes, I think the calendar probably needs to change in the future for sure. Are there any, uh, obviously so much, Players jumping into the portal. Now we're starting to see commitments out of the portal. Uh, are there any that stand out to you, Stephen? Doesn't matter how many, but uh, any that really stand out as as big time losses or big time gains. Strictly speaking of the SEC uh, and guys, I'm I'm kind of referencing. I would have to think Jaheim Bell, Marshawn Lloyd at South Carolina. Those those may top the list. Any others that you're you're looking at and saying, man, that's a that's a big loss. Yeah, there's there's two teams I think that I'm I'm very curious about what's going on in the portal. And the first one, as you mentioned, South Carolina. Um, Jaheim Bell's gone. Austin Stogner transferred back to Oklahoma. We'll see what happens with Spencer Rattler at the end of the season. Marshawn Lloyd, uh, leading rusher, not to mention. I thought. When we were talking about South Carolina during the season, the more Marshawn Lloyd got involved, the better it was for South Carolina. Um, he just gave that running game a spark. You look at Arkansas and, and some of the losses that they had, Trey Knox, a uh, couple you know, receivers too at Jackson. It, they're, they're curious moves, I think, for two teams that are sort of in the uh, tier of can they make the moves that they need to to get to that next tier South Carolina will finish in the top 25. I think Arkansas had some bad luck with injuries to KJ Jefferson this year. If they can reload around him, they've got a chance to make another run next year. So I think I'm back to our roster construction. Like I'm fascinated to see how they can backfill some of these voids. And and also how does the the new coordinators uh, for both teams, how does that impact where additions and subtractions go? Well, I'm glad you went there, Stephen, because that's was going to be kind of my follow-up. I don't know that this is official yet, but it's been reported by many outlets. Arkansas tight end coach Dowell Loggins going to be the new offensive coordinator at South Carolina. What are your thoughts on on Dowell Loggins being the play caller there in Columbia? I know there was an article. I don't know who wrote it, and I don't know how much research they did, but it it is a 24-7 sports article. They they called him the the worst play caller in the NFL. Again, this is not NFL. So uh, I made, I made the, this point, Steven, on a recent show. I thought Mel Tucker, I thought he was awful at, at, as an NFL coordinator. And I thought when Kirby hired him, I was like, well, that's, that's a joke. That's a terrible hire. He's been outstanding and, and he's gone on to two head coaching jobs, hundred million dollar contract. So what you do in the NFL, not necessarily indicative of what you'll do in college football, but uh, I say all that to, to kick it over to you, what thoughts on Dow Loggins being your play caller there at South Carolina? 
Yeah. Also see Matt rule uh, doesn't work out in the NFL, but could very <laughs> much work out in college. I think it is a little puzzling to me. Uh, like I think with the resources that South Carolina has and knowing that, I mean, do you miss Marcus Satterfield at this point? I guess I, you know, um, I, it's a, it is a little puzzling to, to me. I, I thought maybe they would go out and get a bigger, more established college offensive coordinator. I, I think to your point, I think you have to give Shane Beamer a little bit of a benefit of the doubt here. And I think is what he's done so far in this program. If it's not right, they'll make a change after one year and get it right. And so I, I, it's a very critical off season in the sense of you have a lot of turnover at receiver, potentially quarterback situation. You need to get this right to go to the next level. And that's why I'm a little puzzled by it. I, I just think somebody with a little bit more experience, especially in the college level, would be a better fit here. I think maybe the the reason for optimism might be he's been a play caller in the NFL at you know a couple different stops. You don't get that job if 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 you're you know a nobody. You have to be pretty good and and know something. And maybe the other part of this is if you can take a little bit of what Arkansas is doing on offense and blend it with some of the NFL con- concepts, maybe you have something there. So that's kind of the optimistic view on things personally i don't necessarily love the hire i think south carolina should have went elsewhere but i'm also kind of in hey i'll be happy to be wrong and uh we'll see how it happens how it looks on the field this year now this is complete speculation on my part Stephen. but do you think it's fair to believe perhaps that uh you know south carolina is a great program I'm, I'm not knocking it but my god they're annually got one of the toughest schedules you can play Georgia, Tennessee now has emerged, Florida, if they turn the ship here against Billy Napier, and, of course, Clemson annually to go along with the rest of the SEC slate. South Carolina, I've been saying it for a while, they should adopt a Kentucky-like scheduling model, which they, they won't do. They always have these tricky non-conference games that that basically just get you fired if you lose them. Um, and I want to throw the fan base in here, Shane, uh, Stephen. I mean – Great fans. It's one of our biggest markets there, so I'm, I'm not calling them out, but they're just like the rest of the SEC. They're fanatics. And if, I mean, how much vitriol, not saying he didn't deserve it, but how much vitriol from Stephen Lassett even do we see from Marcus Satterfield? Do you think, uh, you know, combining all those factors, do you think that possibly made this not an attractive option for some coordinators? Because Shane Beamer came out here and said, my phone's blowing up. All these people reaching out, and then you're, and then he sits here and, and he gets Dow Loggins. Like, I don't know, something something doesn't add up there. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair question. Uh, you know, I I would be curious to know who else was in the mix here. And but I also go back to SEC teams have the resources they need to go out and get high profile coordinators. You're not going to you know, save a few bucks on an offensive coordinator. Like this is who Shane Beamer went out and hired and this is who he wanted. So he owns this hire for, for better or for worse. If it looks, if it works great, then I'm going to look like an idiot. If it works bad, he's going to have to hire someone else next year. But that, that also kind of gets at the problem. I mean, South Carolina just took this big step forward. They exceeded preseason expectations. They beat Tennessee. They beat Clemson. I think they're headed into the bowl game with momentum. And you hire, and this is your offensive coordinator hire. It's really curious to me. I, I think it's more about this is just who Shane Beamer wanted, and that's where he sees the vision of this going, rather than maybe anything else on the board. But 
maybe maybe you might be right. I, I just think it's probably just that's who he, he wants and that's his vision of the offense. Now, we got some other coordinator hires in the SEC. Stephen Auburn has got both their guys, Philip Montgomery, most recently Tulsa head coach. He's going to be the offensive coordinator. He was at Baylor in, I believe it was 2013, 2014, both seasons. I believe Baylor led the country in scoring um, and, and then on defense, Ron Roberts. Let's stick with uh, Philip Montgomery first. Thoughts on that hire? And uh, when when Baylor was, you know, scoring so so many points, that was I have to assume that was Art Briles' time. Was Art Briles the play caller? Do you, do you have any idea? I'm just I'm just kind of curious about that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I actually tried to figure this out at one point at Baylor. I tried to figure out who was the play caller, and apparently Montgomery was the guy for. For Baylor, I would say this, if you're an Auburn fan and you look at Montgomery's record at Tulsa and say he's a bad coordinator, don't read anything into the record. Tulsa is a really hard job. And he actually, I think, did some good things there considering the resources. They're a really small school. If you go back to Baylor and you look at Tulsa, what he's been able to do is kind of, it's not... it's not a pass-happy offense by any means. They love to run the ball. At Tulsa, they were very physical a lot of 1,000-yard rushers at Tulsa, different style quarterbacks, quarterbacks that can run. Also, they love to stretch the field. Their starting quarterback this year had an average yards per attempt over eight, so they really like to push it downfield. So I, I found his offense to be not only productive, but pretty adaptable. Um, you know, I think it'll fit well in the SEC. You got to be able to be physical with the line of scrimmage, be able to run it, check in his favor. Also, willingness to take downfield shots. So I, I really like this hire for Auburn. I think Philip Montgomery is going to be a great fit there, um, and especially if they can get some pieces around him in the portal. There's potential for this offense to be a lot better right away. Yeah, and, and of course, you you know, if, it, if it's some variation of the, the, the Bryles system, it's what they're running at Tennessee with so much success. Uh, they're at Ole Miss, so much success. Arkansas, that's the strength of that program. So – yeah, I I love this this move, and then uh, you throw in what I know about Hugh Freeze as a play caller, specializes in goal line third down situations. I mean that's that's particularly the one missing component to a lot of these offenses not being able to get it done in the red zone, get it done on third down. You leave that up to Hugh. Man, we could have a dynamic here offense, and that is before Stephen. We'll get to the defensive coordinator in, in just a moment, but the the hot rumor. Coastal Carolina, Grayson McCall has entered the portal. Apparently, he's tops on Auburn's wish list to get him down on the plains to be Hugh Freeze's first starting quarterback. What can you tell us, Stephen, about Grayson McCall? Do you? Th- I mean, his numbers are incredible there at Coastal the last three seasons. He's he's been their starting quarterback. Uh, do you think he's good enough to start and excel in the SEC? I do. Uh, we've been waiting for like one of these big time quarterbacks to get into the portal this offseason. And McCall is a big name. I, I think he would be a great fit in this offense. And you look at his numbers at Coastal Carolina. I mean, eight interceptions over 700 career pass attempts. He's rushed for over a thousand yards. The passing numbers, 70 percent of his passes were completed. Just production uh, every year at a high level. He got hurt this year at the end of the season, so it sort of slowed his production down just a little bit. But you know, his the offense that Coastal runs is kind of a it's almost a hybrid option. Like they use a lot of pistol, a lot of shotgun. 
and you can see the option concepts in there, but also you know, he can throw it. It's not just that he's just a really good runner. He can throw it. And I think he would fit in well with some of these Baylor style um, offenses that we could maybe see at Auburn and however freeze and Montgomery mesh it together. I don't know if he'd be great necessarily in sort of a drop back passing offense. Um, I think he'd be better in one of these spread fits. I think he's one or two in the quarterback rankings in the portal. I think it's Devin Leary and, and Grayson McCall right now. So I think if I'm Auburn, I'm going all in to try and get him because I think he could make a big impact for them right away. Now the defense higher, that's going to be paramount for Auburn's success because Hugh is obviously comes with a an offensive background. They've hired Ron Roberts, ironically from Baylor. <laughs> what was it? Baylor, a lot of Baylor connections here, but uh Ron Roberts, a, a lengthy track record. He he worked for Billy Napier at Louisiana. He ran what was it, Delta State in North. Eastern, Northeastern, Northwestern State, whatever it's called down there, had massive success as a head coach. His coaching tree includes guys like uh, uh, Dave Aranda. So, I mean, this is a guy with – he's well-versed in the college landscape. Stole him away at the last minute here from Arkansas. He was going to be the hire there. What can you tell us about Ron Roberts? Do you like the fit on the Plains? I do. I, I have to admit, every year we get a kind of stunning coach move. This was stunning to me, like the fact that he got fired at Baylor when he's had a kind of a, a connection with Dave Aranda was really surprising to me. And their defense at Baylor regressed a little bit this year, but they lost some guys to the NFL. And it wasn't like their defense didn't give up, you know, 40 points a game. It wasn't just awful. So I, I'd be curious to know, like the, the mechanics of why he was he was let go. But you go back to Baylor in 2021, and one of the reasons that they won the Big 12 was because of defense and how far that defense has progressed since Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts got there. Even going back to Louisiana, when he was at uh, he was coaching under Billy Napier, Louisiana's defense got a lot better when he arrived there. So I think this is a really strong hire uh, for Auburn. I get, I guess I'm, I just like everything that Auburn's uh, doing on, on today's episode, but he's you know, he's pretty versatile, three, four-man fronts. You've seen those at um, at, at Baylor and, and Louisiana. So I, I think if these are really solid coaching hires for, for Auburn. You're adding Cadillac Williams, and, and I think they're off to a really good start for Hugh Freeze. You heard it there first, folks. Stephen Lassett, president of the Hugh Freeze Fan Club. I had to trade in my Marcus Satterfield ticket somewhere <laughs> else. So. <laughs> And then what other one, again, not official yet, but has been reported by Chris Mortensen, one of the best in the business, and, and not only him, but many others. Uh, Liam Cohen, back to Kentucky. Man, when I first heard that, I thought it was a pipe dream, you know, after they had fired Rich Scangarello. But, I mean, I don't, literally, I don't think Kentucky could have brought in a better offensive coordinator. What, what do you think about Liam Cohen coming back to Lexington? I hate to to be boring and say that I like all these coaching hires, but man, I mean, Kentucky hit a home run here. I mean, getting Liam Cohen back to Lexington is a big freaking deal because of the offense and how much it improved under his watch. Uh, they were averaging 22 points a game. It jumped up to 32. They were last in the SEC this year with 22 points a game. I think you can see the impact over the last three years of his arrival 
also, I, I think he blends what Kentucky does well, which is, you know, you got to be physical, you got to run the ball, but you also need some creativity to score points. And, and I think that offense will be attractive to quarterbacks in the portal. Uh, when you can go tout experience working for the Rams and Sean McVay and coaching Matthew Stafford, I think that'll be pretty attractive to uh, the quarterbacks and not to mention Will Levis and the development that he had last year. So I, I think this is the really the best case scenario that Kentucky uh, could have asked for in the, the offensive coordinator hire. Well, I'm glad you said that, Stephen, because uh, according to our buddy Nick Roush for Kentucky Sports Radio, Devin Leary, who you, you mentioned just a moment ago, you mentioned, I believe it was last week, you said you'd probably put him number one on your quarterback transfer portal board. Um, you know, thoughts on, on him going to Kentucky. Does he have any of the traits that uh, we saw from Will Levis? And how do you think he'd fit into a Liam Cohen offense that's uh, is going to have a stable of, of talented receivers to work with. Yeah, I, th- I think the the best news for Devin Leary is if he goes to Kentucky, he'll actually have productive and, and good receivers. That was a, a real concern for NC State this year. They just did not have enough playmakers to be able to stretch the field. They also lost their uh, first-round pick at, at left tackle. He went to the Panthers in the first round of the NFL draft. So before getting hurt, the offense was kind of a work in progress, but you go back to 2021, he threw 35 touchdowns to five interceptions and was, you know, touted as a top 10 quarterback coming into this season. So I think his stock is maybe down a little bit because of injury, but you watch him and you can see a lot of like what Will Levis did big time arm. He can move around a little bit, not saying they're the exact same quarterback, but he gives you a lot of, of the same kind of physical tools and traits. So I, I think he'd be a great fit for, for Liam Cohen's offense. I think if Kentucky lands him, if you're, if you're talking between quarterbacks and you're, you're deciding between Graham Mertz and Devin Leary, I would much rather have Devin Leary. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was, that was going to be my next question. You're already ahead of me, but I, let me ask you about this I, one, Steve. I would, I would say on, on Mertz, I should say, uh-huh. I think that there's something there for the next coaching staff to tap into because Wisconsin, same kind of deal as NC state, not many playmakers. The offensive scheme was maybe a little stale. He, he, he came to Wisconsin. He was a big time get for them on the recruiting track. He's one of the biggest quarterback recruits they've had, if maybe not ever. So it just didn't work out there. So I, I think people are going to look at Graham Mertz's numbers and go, no, thanks. I don't, I don't want that. I think all of the quarterbacks in the portal, maybe absent McCall and Leary, it's kind of like a used car lot. You know, you have to find something that you want and you have to try and, and you know, clean it up and mold it into something that works. And so I, I think be careful about just writing Graham Mertz off at this point. I still think there's a good quarterback there if you can get him in the right system and put some talent around him. Yeah, and he apparently – is uh, visiting or he either has or will be visiting Florida. So could you see the fit there in Billy Napier's uh, offense for, for Graham Mertz? I think it's a little difficult of a fit for me to see. I, I think if I'm Florida, I would probably want a quarterback maybe with a little bit more mobility based upon um, Napier's history at, at Louisiana and certainly uh, Florida so, so far. I think the the other thing for Florida is you just need quarterbacks at this point. Uh, if you don't get, if you could go in and get Grayson McCall, if you could go into the portal later on and get somebody else, 
you know, you have your future coming in this year's recruiting class, but do you want to start him early in the year next year, considering Florida's schedule, or do you want to find somebody who you can gradually uh, give the offense to? And they're, they're just down on, on arms. They just need guys to come in and, and play. So I, I could see, you know, him coming in and maybe being a good kind of placeholder for the next one or tra- easing the transition. Um, so I, I could see a lot of different variations of why Florida might want Graham Mertz. Well, one other one that I, I don't know if this is just a rumor, but I've been seeing it nonstop on a lot of these uh, <laughs> online and everything, but uh, Tulane's quarterback, I believe his name's Michael Pratt, very e- efficient quarterback how would he fit potentially i don't even think he's in the portal so i, I don't want to be speaking out of turn here but uh if he were to to enter the portal would he be a fit down there in gainesville i like him a lot better i think than graham mertz i, I think you mentioned it it's efficiency and it's also development throughout his career um just watching michael pratt the last couple of years he came in as a freshman had a really good freshman season Got a little bit banged up and and didn't have a lot of help around him one season. But you look at what he did this year, and especially in the American Athletic Conference Championship game when they beat UCF, um, his development and importance and just play have kind of all been on display. He gives you something in the run game, pretty efficient, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he can also uh, push the the ball downfield. You know, maybe... Maybe not a lot of high end talent, like when you're talking like you know upside. But I think if like if Florida was to land him, I mean you're talking about a guy who could come in and win a lot of games for you right away next year. Right, and, and then one other guy that uh, I believe even his head coach Dave Clawson has said, "Hey, if he gets a big offer, or whatever, you know, we'll be happy for him." Sam Hartman again, another one. He's not even in the portal to my knowledge. Uh, if he does get in the portal, where would he rank? And, and do you think he could play? Uh, or even start is probably the better question. Do you think he could start in the SEC? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think he would be right up there with Devin Leary. That that was the debate coming into this year on the all ACC ballot was whether to go with Leary or to go with Hartman first team. And and, and Hartman won out in, in most of those debates. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause about Hartman that he just had some some games where the turnovers were high. You know, we're talking seasons of 11, 14 interceptions. That's a little high for me. Now, some of that could be, you know, could be scheme. They push the ball downfield a lot. Um, you know, the offensive line at Wake Forest has been a little shaky at times. So in the right system with the right fit in the coaching, I think maybe you could cut down on some of those numbers. Uh, he's been really productive over the last couple game, couple years, started a ton of games. I mean, you, the experience, you know, maybe it's not that high-end upside like you saw with Spencer Rattler or Caleb Williams in last year's transfer portal, but all these guys are really productive and would be really solid fits, I think, at a lot of different SEC schools. Well, just as we're sitting here talking, Stephen, it, it kind of going back to the very beginning of our conversation, I mean, the timing of all this is just so bizarre. Because imagine like LSU, we don't know what Jaden Daniels is going to do. We don't know at Alabama what Bryce Young's, we assume we know what he's going to do, but let's say you're a Sam Hartman. Let's say you're a Michael Pratt. Let's say, you know, you're one of these quarterbacks. (laughs) You think you're going to Florida, and then next thing you know, Bryce Young says he's going pro, and then Nick Saban's blowing up your phone. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) we're not even clear 
what schools it could be Georgia, it could be Kirby blowing you up. Cause that, but does that, does he want to make that phone call right before a national championship run? I don't know, but it's just so bizarre that this is all thrown together because there's going to be, there's going to be a, probably a, a job opening or two or three or four <laughs> that we don't know about as we're sitting here recording that could be open in a week to two weeks. So I don't know how quickly many of these quarterback decisions are even going to be made. What, what, maybe that's a, the better way to phrase this to you, Stephen. When do you think these quarterback commitments, decisions need to be made by? You know, I think something else to consider, if you're a head coach, you also have to walk that fine line between going after some of these quarterbacks <laughs> and not letting the other quarterbacks leave. You know, you, <laughs> it's a really difficult, you know, tight to, rope to walk. I mean, you, you you obviously want, you know, your players to have the best opportunity. And, you know, I'm not I'm not suggesting you have to lie to them. But, you know, if you are Kirby Smart and let's just hypothetically say you offer Grayson McCall, well, Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton could say, hey, thanks for, for having us. We're hitting the portal tomorrow. And now you all of a sudden right. you have a, a, a problem. I think in, in terms of timing, I think they probably need to happen, you know, before we get too deep into January, because you start talking about semester and getting into practice and workouts. So I would expect that some of these dominoes start to fall fairly soon. I think we'll know more about the draft in the next couple of weeks. You know, Bryce Young, what, what happens with Jaden Daniels at LSU? I, I think we've already seen quite a bit of uh, personnel movement so far this week. I, I expect that maybe the next week or two, we'll probably get a better picture. And then some of those commitments will start to fall after. Well, I can't believe we've gone this long, Stephen. I haven't even asked you this yet. Maybe it's just because I'm so desperate for this to happen on a pure entertainment level. Cause we haven't really heard anything since Friday. So I don't, I don't even know at this point in time, if this is legitimate or not, but Bobby Petrino, to Texas A&M, thoughts on that rumored interview. I, I think that's all we, I think that's all it was a rumored interview. But again, he could be the choice, hoping, praying that that is the, the situation down there in College Station. What would you say if Jimbo shocked the college football world, Stephen, and, and named Bobby Petrino his next offensive play caller? Please do. Please. <laughs> <laughs> we would have content. For days, uh, of course, me and Mike were just selfish <laughs> content guys, and and we're we're looking for the best storylines here. I will say, for all of his baggage at Arkansas, Petrino is a really good play caller, and he knows how to build offenses. And I could see I could see him building some productive offenses at A and M. Whether or not you want to throw Bobby Petrino into a staff that features Fisher and Adazio and DJ Durkin seems a little volcanic to me. <laughs> I, you know, I I, I'll, I don't consider Bobby Petrino probably to be the best team player. We'll just we'll say that. So I, if it works out for AM, I think he could have, I think if he's locked in and, and ready to coordinate the offense, I think he could be a good fit just because I don't think what he does is that like drastically different than what Jimbo wants to do. Like I could see their styles kind of overlapping. You're not just going to go like air raid and throw it 50 times. Bobby Petrino's best teams at Arkansas with the running backs that they had, you could see why this would work. I just think that the personality, all of that together might not be the best fit. 
But if you tell me Petrino was hired, I, I could see him drawing up some good offenses over the next uh, couple of years. You know, what's funny, Stephen, you talk about his baggage at Arkansas. You just completely overlooked his baggage with the Falcons, his baggage with Louisville, his baggage at Jetgate. I mean, he was the one they tried to ounce Tommy Tuberville in the middle of the night. I mean, it's just odd and odd and on with this guy, which, again, goes back to why we want him so bad back in the SEC. And, hell, I mean, I don't know if he's got any chance ever of being a head coach in the SEC again. It's probably slim to none, but – his window to get there is not Missouri State. His window is to come down to Texas A&M, help them win a championship. I mean, don't don't you think maybe that's maybe that would be his motivation? I mean, that that's got to get him a better job than than anything he can do at Missouri State, don't you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think if he wants to get back to being an FBS head coach, it's number one. It's no baggage from Missouri State or from A and M or anywhere else. A very quiet couple of years on on his tenure, and then it would be somewhere like that. It's it's to go to, to Texas A and M, a very high profile job in the SEC. Develop Connor Wigman, put together some good offenses, help A and M get into the top ten, and maybe some AD at some other school says it's been a few years. We'll take a chance on. Uh, on Petrino as the head coach. I certainly think that it's probably not happening if he's the head coach at uh, Missouri State. He has to get back somewhere to the SEC or Power 5 level. And, you know, another part of this could be if you're a coach at, I mean, we've, we've seen this. I mean, G5, uh, Sean Lewis, who was the head coach at Kent State, is now the offensive coordinator at Colorado. The, just the roster management of G5 schools and FCS schools, I mean, I don't want to say they're the minor league for power five schools, but you could really see how you could take a coordinator job and get paid somewhere better. And you don't have to put up with all the roster management that you do is at one of these schools. And you use that to get to a power five job so that you're not one of the ones dealing with the constant roster turnover. So I could also see that being part of the calculus too. Uh, well, a well-paid high profile coordinator position is pretty valuable. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Stephen, we actually do got a game to talk about here. We got a game on Saturday, the Las Vegas Bowl. I believe this is the first time an SEC team has participated in the the Las Vegas Bowl, a relatively new bowl there in the uh, new Raiders Stadium. Florida, number 14, I think it is, Oregon State. I think Florida's going to be – I saw this stat, Stephen. They're going to be without 1,000 special team snaps. Of course, Anthony Richardson off to the NFL. Uh, Ventrell Miller, I believe, off to the NFL. Osiris uh, uh, Torrance off to the NFL. Uh, 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 Gervin Dexter, I believe. Off, I mean, hell, I don't know who's suiting up for Florida. So tell us more about Oregon State. What can you share about the Beavers that uh, Florida fans, SEC fans should know if they're thinking about wagering on this Las Vegas Bowl? Yeah, I, I think for starters, I think all of Florida's personnel losses make this a really difficult game to figure out. Even with a full roster, I do think this Oregon State team would be a handful for Florida. Uh, they are built very much like an SEC team in, in the sense that they are strong at the line of scrimmage. They love to run the ball, over 40 rushing attempts per game. They can hit you with a couple different running backs, uh, the, the best one being Damian Martinez, who's a true freshman, made all-conference honors this year out in the Pac-12. I think this is one of the better offensive lines, too, at the Power 5 level this year. 
they don't throw it that great. Um, ben Gobranson has been their quarterback the last couple weeks, and he completed six passes when they beat Oregon. So it goes to show you that they just really like to run the ball. They're very physical at the line of scrimmage. On defense, this is kind of why Oregon State got to 9-3 and three this year. Uh, their defense took a big step forward. Uh, they, they were not very good last year. They changed coordinators at the end of last season. They're a very veteran group, and they really took to the new coordinator. They're really strong at linebacker. Uh, Omar Spites is one of their better defenders. Good in the secondary, too. They're first and second in the Pac-12 and pass efficiency defense. They are missing one of their uh, top corners in, in Rajon Wright, but still overall a really solid kind of upper class uh, group for, for Oregon State. They are they're one of the better defenses statistically this year in the Pac-12. So I, th- I think if you're a Florida fan, I think you can expect to see a, a team that, to use a probably overused cliche, they're really well coached, really solid on, on both sides of the ball, but they are going to try to run it. And if they if they can do that, Florida's in trouble. If Florida can slow them down and force Oregon State to win this game through the air, uh, that gives Florida a chance to keep this one close. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, their their head coach just got a contract extension. Um, I believe they beat Oregon. I think I, I watched some of that game. But uh, let me ask you this, Steve, because this feels to me, I, I can see this one going one of two ways. Let me know if you think this is a fair assessment. Florida is either going to get their doors blown off or, you know, they keep it close. It's a competitive, Billy Napier does a hell of a job in these one score ball games. They squeak one out with, with a lot of players stepping up that are, that are basically bought into Billy Napier. And, you know, this will be their first opportunity to, to make an impression for the year two roster. Could just, you know, Florida, maybe muster something where some, some players like a Jack Miller that we've not really seen step up and have their first big performance and win a close one. Do you, do you think I'm on to something with, with either one of those scenarios? Yeah, I do. I, I think the, the spread being about 10 makes sense when you think about who Florida's missing. I do think bowl games are a lot about motivation for me, and I actually think there should be a lot of motivation on both sides. Um, for Florida, I think it's to rebound and to try to finish the year on a high note. I think – Billy Napier will have Florida ready to play. And I think we may see like Florida come out and play well early on. I think what worries me if I'm Florida is with all the attrition and changes, like once the the script, you go away from the, the first script in the quarter, like how do you settle in with a guy that's inexperienced, a quarterback, and you're missing your best offensive lineman and some of the concerns that you have on defense. So I, I think if, if Florida can keep this close for, you know, a half or so, you get into that scenario where maybe they can make this interesting to the very end. If Oregon State come out, comes out and punches Florida in the mouth, it might be hard for them to keep it close. You, you mentioned Oregon State season. They lost to USC by three. They lost to Utah, and they lost to Washington by three. They're nine and three, um, and they beat Oregon, like you mentioned, too. I mean, this is a really solid team in the top 20. Uh, overall, it, it is good to see some more Pac-12 SEC matchups. We don't get enough of them. So that's that's another reason I'm excited for uh, for this weekend. Yeah, and if nothing else, opportunity to go to Vegas, see a beautiful brand-new stadium. <laughs> Heck, if I was a Gator, I mean, I, I don't know how fired up I'd be for this game, but I'd be fired up just for that trip because, again, I think you're the first SEC team – to play in this stadium, to play in this bowl game, 
that in itself, an experience worth checking out. I tried to get cousin Shane to make that voyage. He, he, he shot me down all that, but uh, uh, B- uh, Billy Napier <laughs> might be calling him to suit up. If, if you're... <laughs> now, last thing I had for you, Stephen, I told you, I didn't tell you what it was, but I told you I had some beef with you. I listened to the latest fringe element podcast. Go check it out. Stephen and Braden Gall talking SEC bowl games. And what is Stephen's number one lock of the bowl week or bowl season with the SEC? Kansas State over Alabama. Get the hell out of here with that, Stephen. I get it. Who, 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 you know, we don't know who's going to be suiting up. Yeah, Big 12 has, has whooped Alabama in bowl games before. I get that. But, man, I trash Alabama and Nick Saban more than anybody. And I do it just kind of half-jokingly because they're so dominant, greatest coach of all time, greatest dynasty in college football history, in my opinion. Nick's team, Nick Saban's had about two teams that have laid down ever. And it was it was his second season, I feel like, at Utah. What was that, the Sugar Bowl? They had went undefeated. They lost the SEC championship. They lost that game. Look, I don't think they cared. Once they lost the SEC, I think they their season was done. The only other one. Maybe you you got a little bit of a point was that Oklahoma, I think, whooped them by several touchdowns. I think it was the Trevor Knights, his, his one showing of his career, basically. But beyond that, Stephen, I, no, way in cha- no way in hell do I see Alabama laying down for anybody. And if they were going to do it, they would have done it that year. I think it was the Orange Bowl against Michigan, and we had Mac Jones in there. Man, they blew their doors off. And I think that's exactly – What's going to happen to Kansas State? I don't care who's playing in this game. Tell us why you're so wrong about Alabama getting destroyed by Kansas State. It wouldn't be the first bad take that I've had this year, and it certainly won't be the last one. So, uh, no, I think, you know, I, I kind of – when I make my bowl picks, you know, I'm always – like these are really hard to do. Um, I'm sort of just pleading ignorance here because <laughs> – you know, I, I tried to, I have a list of like opt-outs for every game. And like, I mean, to give you an idea, Cincinnati and Louisville played this Saturday. They both have interim coaches. They both have lost coaches. They have players opting out. I don't, I don't know who's <laughs> going to win this game. Like if anybody could tell you who's going to win with any confidence, they're probably lying to you. But I usually, you know, I look at motivation and I look at like, who's got a full roster and Kansas state should be, I think at full strength. I think they're motivated because it's a big deal to play in the Sugar Bowl. They get a shot at Alabama. I think Alabama without Bryce Young, I you know we saw Jalen Milrow with the, the game against A&M this year. I think he's capable of playing a lot better, with, and especially if he's got a full allotment of bowl practices to, uh, to get with the number one offense, or if Ty Simpson steps in there too. So it, it's, it's a toss-up of just taking a chance on a team with some motivation, and uh, an Alabama team that might be shorthanded. I will say, I think in Alabama's uh, credit, I think if if they were going to fold this year, it was probably that Ole Miss game a week after losing to LSU. And the fact they went to Oxford and got the victory, I, I think speaks well to, yeah, they may not have won the SEC this year, but they still kept it going. So I, I'm just, I'm taking K-State to cover for uh, <laughs> for the motivation in the shorthanded Alabama roster but again i've had a lot of bad takes this year and it wouldn't be the last one so well you better believe steven i'm clipping this and one of us is gonna be dead wrong (laughs) and even if it's me i'll replay this one but uh no i kid but i just think alabama's gonna show up no matter 
you know, with, with Nick Saban there, his team ain't going to lay down. But, hey, man, we kept it a little long on this episode, so I'm going to let you go here. But before you do, can you tell the fine folks where to find all your work? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Athlon Steven. You can also check out my work at athlonsports.com. If you're trying to follow transfers, if you're trying to keep up with them, I've got a list of the players in the portal, best available, best available quarterbacks for Kentucky and for Auburn and for Missouri fans who are out there uh, shopping for quarterbacks. And you can also follow my work on YouTube at all CFB 365. Now, uh, one final thing, Stephen, is the uh, the Monday Twitter spaces, was that just during the season or are you guys going to do anything for, for the bowl season with that? I think it was just in the season, unfortunately. Um, maybe we can work something out down the road, but I think for now it was just in the in the season. Yeah, I mean, it would be great to do it New Year's Day, 12 games lined up, but unfortunately that's a Sunday. So college football takes a backseat to the NFL. One of my biggest, I mean, I get it, but that's one of my biggest gripes with this time of year. I mean, come on, January, New Year's Day, that's supposed to be college football's day. You know what? Yeah, especially even in the future with the 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 twelve team playoff, just having all those games, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, however it works out with the semifinals or whatever week it is, we need those on uh, on January first because that's just been college football's uh, a day. So hopefully, uh, we'll, that's it'll, it'll work out that way. But I, I'm with you. the The schedule was a little a little weird this year because I think the Sugar Bowls during the day. And it's like, that never happens. Like it's always played at like seven or eight o'clock at night and it's dark outside. And then I can count on the sugar bowl being on and this year it's not. So yeah. Well, anything for that dollar, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, it, it, uh, it all matters because it hire good coaches, uh, build big time facilities and stadiums. So un- unfortunately college football, well, fortunately or unfortunately, Money's helped college football get to where it is, and it's helped programs hire good coaches and all that. So sometimes you have to you have to juggle that one with what the TV wants. Well, look at you, Stephen, going out on a high note. I like that positivity here. <laughs> hey, I try. Hey, I, Marcus Satterfield left the SEC. <laughs> I try to find my tickets to to be the next fan club president somewhere. <laughs> All right, so just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. I always appreciate him being so kind with his time to deliver some outstanding knowledge for all you fine folks out there. I know I learn at least one thing every conversation I have with Stephen. I hope you all do as well. But that is going to do it for this episode of the show. Appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to check us out, even with the regular season's gone on the way we got a bowl game coming up here on saturday sec i'm talking about there's gonna be plenty of bowl games all starting this week and then the sec will really get going the following week but we'll be here to cover each and every one of those games and i'm thinking of uh, trying to do some live shows after each and every sec bowl game see how those go see how you all like that maybe uh, try to get as interactive as i can take questions from the audience things of that nature so be on the radar for that i'll kind of talk more about that as we get closer to those bowl games the upcoming bowl games out of the sec but looking forward to ways to grow this show trying to be more interactive with the audience and that sounds like a fun way to do it so hey be on the lookout for that but uh, that is all we got on this episode of the show we'll catch you 
Oh, the next one.